Christian Parenting. Are you struggling to balance your modern life and your faith? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Legacy Dads Podcast with Lance and Dante, offering biblical-based wisdom and that weekly dose of what truly works in men's lives. The Legacy Dads Podcast, real men, authentic faith. Here are your hosts of the Legacy Dads Podcast. They're authentic, transparent, and not always politically correct. Lance and Dante. Hey everyone, this is Dante flying solo without my partner Lance, but uh, don't worry, at uh, the co-pilot seat today I have an old long-lost friend of ours, Jeff McDaniel. Um, We were talking, and we'll get into that in a moment here, but uh, he listened to our last podcast on shame and guilt. We've been texting back and forth, but before we do that, let's get a little bit of business out of the way. Legacy Dads is your weekly dose of biblical manhood. This podcast is for men, husbands, fathers in all stages of life, where we promote and advocate biblical principles for leaving a lasting legacy. My brother, Jeff, how are you today? Great, Dante. Hey, so the last podcast was pretty good on shame and guilt, but the really important thing I got out of that was you have a golden retriever puppy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 10 10 weeks now and uh he decided you know he's been awesome at night we've been taking him out uh 10 30 at night you know last go around putting him down for the night we wake up at you know like newborn parents at like 2 30 3 30 in the morning and he's getting a little bit better and better but last night man i think he was at full like i want to play mode at 10 whining at 11 whining at 12 and uh you know i told my wife if i see him napping today or running around or you know just trying to take it easy i think i'm gonna kick him i'm gonna howl and i'm gonna make sure that he's up all day so he doesn't keep (laughs) us up tomorrow night we'll see i'll give him a little bit of grace on that one but that's awesome (laughs) yeah hey so Uh, i I told you earlier i've got eight golden retriever puppies in the house we are first time breeders so holy shnikes right now did you do you have a a male that you you bred or do you have a female yeah we've got both the mom and dad they're both red golden retrievers so uh what we woke up to this morning they've been sleeping through the night the whole litter been sleeping through the night or so we thought right but they're super tired in the morning so this morning we got up and they're completely asleep inside their caged area but as we walk around we found six piles of turd throughout the <laughs> kitchen. So somehow these critters get out, they sneak out, and then they sneak back in and they wait for us to go to sleep before they do it. Wow. Yeah. There, there, you know, there are times that I refer to our, our Maximus, AKA Max, um, as a little terrorist, you know, especially like when you let him out, you know, he rings the bell that we have on the door. He's been actually yesterday. He just kicked butt all day, ringing the bell. And then, you know, every once in a while they, they, they get into that ninja mode or that stealth mode where they yeah. disappear in another room and take care of a little business. And you're like, okay, I got to remember this is a newborn pup, newborn pup. Don't kill him yet, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on? What, what's Jeff been up to? It's been a while since we had you on Legacy Dads. Tell me, tell me what's been happening. Been working, been going to school, been uh, discipling guys, working with guys, just raising people up, raising puppies, raising kids, you know, all that good stuff. Mm. So the reason why we got you back on here today is uh, our last podcast is we talked about shame and guilt. Uh, you and I and, and Lance have been texting back and forth and some things that you wanted to follow up on that. Um, why don't you take us into that? I mean, uh, you know, shame and guilt we know is a tool of the enemy. Um, you know, he likes to uh, seek out and destroy, especially those that profess the name of Jesus Christ. You know, we look at you know, how Jesus describes uh, the great Satan um, as far as he is a liar. Everything that comes out of his mouth is untrue. He is evil. And uh, we have to be on guard for this. And the tools, some of the tools that he uses are shame and guilt. Why don't you walk us through some of the three points that we were talking about here uh, for our Legacy Dad listeners? Yeah, awesome. So shame and guilt, I mean, are two of the three primary tools that Satan will use to defeat us or fight us. And um, so it's, it's critical to the Christian walk that we understand them. 
Um, but before we dive in, can can I just pray for us? Because if I don't if I don't pray and ask the Spirit to just guide, I'll say all kinds of wacko stuff. Open it up. Yeah, we got to keep you uh, with tight reins, man. You like right. to really just go, uh, you know, way right. off left field there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you so so much, and Lord, we just ask that you would speak to each one of us, that you would open our minds, Lord, that you would fill the words that are coming out of my mouth, Lord, that that they would speak individually to every listener, that. Lord, you would give people understanding in a new way, Lord, that they would see you, that they would see your word, that they would understand things in ways that they have never understood them before. Father, we ask all of these things that we might see more hearts transformed for you so that transformed hearts can transform cities that can transform nations. We love you so, so much, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, as we look at the, th- the third piece, shame and guilt, um, the third piece of that is fear. Satan will use fear. So fear, guilt, and shame. Um, but before we dive into that, I, I want to start right back at the beginning in order to really understand that. And so the beginning of this is to understand that, that God made each one of us with a unique personality or identity, like He made each one of us, not only with a physical fingerprint, but with a personality fingerprint or a spiritual fingerprint. And most people miss that, right? That God made us uniquely. I've I've asked people, this is one of my little questions, um, in, in 10 words or less, 30 seconds or less, can you tell me what makes you different than any other human being that's ever lived? Mm-hmm. And it should be a very incredibly simple question, right? I'm asking you about you. Very right. few people can answer it. I asked my neurosurgeon this, which a neurosurgeon should be somebody who knows who he is really well. Now, the mistake is I asked him this right before he started surgery on me. <laughs> he couldn't answer it. And like a year later, he's still battling with this question of who he is. <laughs> now, I really should have thought that through because I wanted him focused on my spine while he was doing surgery on me, not uh, focused yeah. on his identity. But hey, so uh, we see in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he created in advance for us to do, right? So what we see is our personality and, and our identity, who we are was specifically made for something like work-wise that God had already prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we see that from cover to cover of scripture. You see that in Paul. While I was yet in my mother's womb, I was created to go to the Gentiles, right? He, he has, and from the very get-go, this is like welling up in him. Like he became the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He studied under Gamaliel because this identity, who's like the what, who he is, is trying to come out. It's just coming out in the wrong way. But he was created that way from the get go, right? Mm-hmm. You see it with Moses. Um, Moses, you fast forward to the burning bush experience, right? God tells him that you are going to deliver my people out of Israel. So Moses from the get-go was created to be a deliverer, identity-wise, to do something which was to deliver the people. It's very closely related there, but that it's an identity piece. So you see Moses early on trying to do that, trying to live out his deliverance piece when he sees a couple of his brothers, his Hebrew brothers, being beaten by the Egyptian, right? And so he tries to live out his identity in his own strength. And so he kills the guy. So he steps out of the way God made him, trying to do it in his own strength. And all that does is it causes strife and heartache. And he spends the next 40 years like out in the desert, right? Yep. But even when he's out in the desert, he comes amongst the women at the well who are being hassled by some guys. And what does he do? The deliverer comes out and like he's so he's living this thing. Right. So what we get here is Moses has to have his burning bush experience. Moses has to see who God is in order to see who he is. And so that's the same thing with us. We have no clue who we are until we know who God is, because God is the only one 
who reveals and makes us understand who we actually are because he made us that way. Yep. Who is God and who am I in that story? Right. And, and I, I like that you bring up Moses because in that process, I mean, of the three tools that the evil one uses, you know, he runs away from that situation out of fear. Bingo. And, and then, you know, shame and guilt as far as when the other Hebrew calls him out on, you know, you are going to, you're going to judge us, you know, because you just murdered that Egyptian. I mean, uh, talk about the three tools that he's using here. It's amazing to see how this thing plays out. Right. Even, even amongst Moses. And look at Moses, like before that he's living amongst the most powerful person in the world. And he was never afraid of Pharaoh. He was never afraid until he starts to live outside of his true identity, right? When he starts to right. do it in his own. All of a sudden, he, he's afraid and he, and he runs away. So that's, that's the first big thing is that we have to understand when, when we know who God is and we know who we are, then we will know what we're called to do, where we're called to go. We will never know where we're going until we know who we are from God. But... Once we know who we are and where we're going, there is nothing that can stop us. Nothing. Yep. No, no. Take, take David, for instance, right? So David, we think, is just this little shepherd boy. He's out in the middle of nowhere, right? David comes up, and we, we read the David and Goliath story as if, like, wow, what this, this miraculous thing, little tiny nobody David, and he kills Goliath. But Goliath didn't stand a chance. David knew who he was as a shepherd, poet, warrior, king. That was his identity. You, you still got me? Yeah, we're here. And uh, I mean, looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, David, even in his worst and his best, we read in scripture that he always had the heart after God. And, and I love that aspect is you, you talk about identity and I know that we're getting here. And, you know, even when we really blow it, even when David, you know, took a census, you know, sinning against God, even when David and Bathsheba, not, not justifying the sin, not justifying the mis- mistakes, um, the, the, the things that we do as far as in our walk, none of us is perfect. Not one of us is righteous. And I think, you know, a lot of times we try to make what we do as far as quote unquote Christians checking the box as far as, oh, you know, I blew it or there's a moral failure or I did something wrong. There's the fear. I'm going to be found out. There's the shame. There's the guilt. I'm never going to be restored. Instead of looking at it, you know, from what biblical truth is, his mercies are new every day. And, you know, as far as grace, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense, you know, that we're going to be, we're going to be in a place where there is no condemnation for us that are in Christ Jesus. Does it mean, you know, if I do something, uh, uh, you know, just audacious and, you know, do something that is against God's will and against my own will or against the law, I'm going to have to give an account for that. I think a lot of us think that we get free passes in this, uh, you know, unbelievable mercy and grace that God gives us. No, there's consequences for our sin. We have to live in those consequences out of it. But, you know, just bringing it back to the listeners here, we bring up Moses, we bring up David, you know, as much as we see the flaws in each of these guys, even Moses wasn't, you know, trusting in the sense of God's call for him to lead his people. And he brought his brother Aaron with him in ministry to be the, uh, the, the speaker to the people because Moses wasn't as good of a speaker as his brother. And so it's these things where we, if we trust God's plan, God would have used Moses even in his doubt, you know, and said, no, you're the one, but we get, we get there where we think we, there is a better way and, or we can have an amendment to what God's will is. And that's where we start getting in trouble when we start thinking that we can do this on our own. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think the story of David highlights a, a, a little bit here, even more so, um, when when we look at David as the shepherd, before he comes in, one of the things he tells Saul as kind of his credentials for being able to go fight David or fight Goliath is like this this joker had he'd killed bears with his bare hands, lions and bears. 
<laughs> like <laughs> he's a little bit qualified. I mean, if right? if you can take a lion, you know, and kill him, um, that's pretty much telling you that that lion is not afraid of anybody on this earth. Right. And uh, and here David is taking out a lion. I mean, he may be, you know, a ruddy looking kid. He may be a teenager. He may be all of the above. But it certainly doesn't hide the fact that he had unbelievable strength. I mean, let's exactly. get that in the text. Right. So yeah. that's where I'm like, Dave, David, like he knew from the get go. That was his identity. Like he had already been out there growing in this. And he's like, I know who I am and I know how to fight. Like to the point where I've killed bears and lions with my bare hands. Like I know who I am and I can do this. And my God, because my God was with me. So he, so David had already experientially learned in his DNA who God is and that God was with him while he's fighting bears and lions. So David comes and Goliath doesn't stand a chance because David's like, my God, the same one who, who was with me when I killed bears and lions with my bare hands, he's still here with me. And this tall joker over here, he he's nothing compared to a bear. Put me in coach. Like my God can do this through me. I know this. Yes. Now, and, and the, and the whole point is that he never lost that focus point. He never lost who this all comes from. And, you know, the, the Lord was with him and he pointed everything that he said as he began his leadership in that, in that Valley against Goliath, that, you know, how dare you, you know, uh, talk bad about the name of God? How dare you? And the confidence that he had mm-hmm. it was not on himself. The confidence that he had was on the Lord God Almighty. Yeah. And, you know, who are you to talk against God's army this way? And who are you, you know, to be this person? And I, I love the boldness, um, not in himself, not in look at who David is, but his boldness in who his God was. Right. And that's the thing as Christians, when we keep our focus, you know, like Peter in the boat, you know, Lord, command me to come out. And as long as we keep that focus on the Lord, Peter was walking on water right. to the Lord. Right. And in the moment that we sit there and say, I can do this on my own, or this is awesome, or look at me, I'm walking on the very sea that my Lord and Savior is walking on. And we, we start thinking that we can handle this on our own. Um, we start sinking and yell, Lord, Lord, help, Lord, help me. me. And the point is, when we take our focus off of God, we take our focus off of who he is in our life, that's when things start to come in. That's when the enemy gets you with his hooks of temptation and fear, guilt, and shame. You know, he repackages these things, it seems like, every decade, every generation. Yep. You know, and the more technology is, the more ways that he has to combat. But the tricks never change. They're the same tools by which he uses. And we have to be prepared to defend that off. Yeah. So we can see those tricks, exactly what you're just saying, Dante. We can see them here in David's story, right? So the first part we see is what I just said. When we know who we are and we know who God is and we know where we're going, nothing can stop us. Now, one of the things we're going to get to with the gospel is you add to this, we cannot die. We can never die. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And we're going to get to that. And I'll explain that a little bit more. But Nothing can stop us and we cannot die. So the only thing Satan can do is use lies to get us to step out of that, to start to believe false things, to step out of that. And what you see with David, Satan knew that. Satan, Satan knew very well that Goliath didn't stand a chance. So what Satan did was he sends David's brothers who start to speak lies into his life. You little snot-nosed brat, you're just here for prideful reasons. Yep. So there's yep. there's strategy number one, is your your friends, your family, those who are around you, they're going to start to say stuff to you. They're going to challenge. They're going to question your motives. They're going to question your character. And if we just start listening to everyone around us, think Job, think David, think, go through the Bible. Like, yes, they can love you. They are close people. But if that's the only people you're listening to and you're not listening to the Spirit, often people around you are used to instill fear or guilt or shame into your life and they don't even know it. This is a sad thing. Often parents speak those things into their kids' lives Mm. and we Mm. don't even know it. And we cast condemnation on our kids all the time. Just think about this. Oh, little Johnny, you should be ashamed of what you're doing. Exactly. We are literally using Satan's own tools on our children. Yeah. Are that, you serious? That, You're casting shame on your child? And, and you know, and not to guilt parents here that are listening, you know, legacy dads, legacy moms out there. You know, this isn't to throw rocks at you no, or how no. dare you do that. 
But a lot of times we've been ingrained with our past experiences, whether we've had a good home, a bad home, a broken home, and just the way that others have not been taught, this is not the way to leave a legacy with your family of faith. Yeah. And the idea is we have to examine ourselves. You know, what Jeff is saying here is not condemnation. It's to really think about how are you engaging your kids? I mean, going through Ephesians 6 you know, just in the ways that you're, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but in the same token, don't, you know, exasperate your children. Don't frustrate them to the point of where they just turn away from your faith. And it's ways, like you say, if you're using shame and guilt to parent your kids, this is part of the self-examination to sit there and say, wait, is this part of God's plan that I use shame and guilt and fear to rule over my house and my kids? Or, or what's God's plan? And that's the whole point that we're getting to is mm-hmm. know, know your enemy, know his strategies, and don't be used by him. And so, right. you know, Job's wife, I'm sure, was a great person. I mean, the, he had a healthy family, he prayed for his family, he sacrificed for his family. But after the wealth loss, after the property loss, after all the animals lost, bad news after bad news after bad news, his wife got so frustrated in a moment of weakness, said, you know, why don't you just curse God and die? And, and that, that aspect is, you know, be careful, you know, watch your words, you know, they become actions, watch your actions, um, you know, and uh, thoughts, actions, words, you know, and it ultimately becomes your destiny, the five watches. Um, the point that I'm making in that is we need to be really careful, you know, in the words that we use, especially with our kids. We need to, as Christian brothers and sisters, we need to be careful in the words that we use because a lot of us in our own hypocrisy, have forgivable sins in the church, in our house. But the moment that we have friends, relatives, loved ones, and family members cross that unforgivable sin, all of a sudden we throw that all out the window. Mm -hmm. And so guard your words carefully in that process, not to shame, not to cast rocks at you guys, but really to challenge the way that you're in, 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 you know, um, how do I put it in the way that you're uh, approaching your kids in parenting? Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, my, my point in bringing it up, I, I like to live my life by, uh, by GI Joe's motto, which is knowing is half the battle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yo, Joe. So that's the whole point is if Satan is our primary enemy, then we just need to know this and we need to know if we're doing harm. And it's not that, yeah, we're, we're bad. It's, it's just, we need to know knowing is half the battle. So often we, as parents, are saying things without even knowing it and we're being used as tools of, of, of Satan by our words. So, so that's the first one. Yeah, but we're we made s- in a certain way and, and how, how we understand who God is, yeah. then who am I in that story and what is God's purpose for my life? Yeah. And then we know that Satan's goal is the antithesis of this, to seek, to destroy, to discord, to divide. Yep. I mean, if you look at Galatians 5 and the fruit of the sinful nature, these are the tools of the enemy. And yeah. where, we, where we see that unhealthy fruit, we've got to repent, go the opposite way, or flee from that yeah. and, and hold true to God's, God's truth and hold true to God's word. Right. And, and the key there is, is truth, right? God's, God is truth. So when Satan lies, what he wants to do is to get you to believe something false. If God made you a certain way, that is truth. The way he made you is truth. When you start to believe another thing about him or about yourself or about the world, you're believing false things. And when you believe a false thing, you will start to act on it. All action comes from a belief. It has mm-hmm. to, right? Yep. So, so you see Satan use the people around, close people around David. But then the next thing that he does is he uses Saul, who says, all right, fine, I'm going to put you in. But if I put you in, you got to do it this way. Here's my armor put all this stuff on and you need to fight my way, which how stupid is that? Right? Like you're not winning Saul. You guys are all up here, terrified, scared to death. You got somebody who's willing to fight him and you tell him that he has to fight the same way as everyone who's scared to death to fight him. Mm -hmm. Like, but that's, that's what Satan's going to do is if he can't get you to start believing false things from those who are around you and people who are speaking into your life, then he, out of fear or guilt or shame, he's going to get you to question yourself, to question your identity and try to take on a false identity because he knows if he can get you to fight outside of your identity, he will win all the time, all the time. I think, all the time. I think 
you guys might have used this analogy. I don't know. I've heard this a, a few times, but the analogy of of a dog fighting geese, right? And the the geese, if the geese fight the dog on land, they lose every time. But what geese will do is they'll go out and and like kind of fake in the water that they're struggling and get the dog to come out into the water. And once the dog's out there, the geese jump on the dog and drown it, right? Yep. Perfect analogy of if you can. You might never be able to win in the dog's identity, but when you can get the dog to step out of his identity, you'll win every time, right? Yep. Do that with any sporting event, right? You get the team to play outside of their game, they're going to lose. But if they play inside their game, yeah, they're going to win. You get the idea. That's what yep. Satan's doing with us. And then if that doesn't work, the third way is then Goliath starts to taunt David. And, mm. and the enemy will do that to us. Even when we're in our identity, the enemy will taunt us and throw hurl insults at us and, and just tries to get us to believe false things. This, this is key. This is the only strategy that Satan has. Super important to understand. You are never too young to start to learn this. So parents, knowing is half the battle, once you know this and you can experience this for yourself, this is where we help our children. We start to walk through this with them, right? And help them start to find who they are. So that's, that's the first section here of we're made for a purpose with an identity. And we only find that when we find God. You got any questions before I move to the next part? No, take us to the next part. Let's roll. Okay, cool. So there's three emotions, right? Three emotions used by Satan, fear, guilt, and shame. Now, it just so happens that these three emotions also line up perfectly with the three worldviews that we have in our world today. Fear and power is a very African worldview, the continent of Africa. Guilt and innocence that's an American thing. Shame and honor, the Middle Eastern worldview, right? Now, you, you can see that, especially in our like overly litigious society, we always want to try to make something legal or illegal. And that's how we view like, we're okay. Take anything that you, that you guys have talked about over the last few years, right? Any topic, and, and it somehow ends up into the court systems, and it all this stuff, because that's our attempt at trying to make ourselves okay. If we can just make it legal, then we're innocent. But until it's legal, we're guilty. Mm -hmm. That's not the case in the Middle East. No. There, it's shame and honor. That's where you get honor killings. You get all, yeah. So you, you get it, right? We see these three emotions, we see them come into existence in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. So Satan comes, God has already told him, don't eat this apple. But he says, as soon as you eat it, you'll be dead. Satan comes and, and we read it as, did God say this? But uh, the, the, a better rendering of the question is what kind of a God would say. So he's, he's challenging the character of God. Yeah. Did he really say it? Did he really mean it? Did he really say it like that? Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, he's holding something back from you. So what kind of a God would say that? Because when you eat it, you're going to be just like him. Yep. yep. So all of a sudden, for the first time ever in their lives, Adam and Eve, who before this, all the, they didn't know fear, guilt, or shame. All they knew was God's word, and they lived perfectly in it, right, in, the, in this communion. But check this out. As soon as they eat it, you see fear come in. Immediately, it's shame. They sow the, they sow the leaves. They're afraid of him and they're guilty. He asks them and they start pointing fingers at everyone else. So fear, yeah, guilt, shame. It wasn't me. She made me do it. Yeah. Yeah. Bingo. So, but here's the thing. God didn't lie. Just like Moses, as soon as we step out of who we are in God, immediately we're dead. We are. Mm -hmm. We stepped out of it. And that's what Satan got them to do. Spiritual death. Right. So the reason these three emotions, fear, guilt, or shame is so important is because physically our body has a limbic system. So if I get a splinter in my finger, immediately my body tells my brain, there's something wrong. Something has enter entered your body and you need to get it out. The splinter needs to go. 
Mm-hmm. Immediately. Sp- Too much pain. Spiritually, we have a spiritual limbic system, and it's called negative emotions. And we all go through it. We all feel different garbage emotions, anxiety, depression, anger, all these things, right? And they, they can all trace back to these three things, fear, guilt, or shame. Anger, for instance, I know you guys, you had that one guy, I forget his name. He talked all about anger. Joan, Joe. Yeah, that guy. Um, yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. He, he had a lot of good stuff. Anger, anger, because a lot of guys deal with this. Anger is a higher level emotion and it's, it's an, an emotion of injustice. And what I mean by that is when you look at anger, there's, there's almost, well, there always is an emotion below it. For instance, if I'm being truthful, I'm angry. And, and what's the emotion I felt before I got angry? Uh, I felt disrespected. I felt somebody made me feel stupid. I felt not good enough. And because of that injustice, I got angry. Mm-hmm. Right? So. Yep. When we start to pay attention to these emotions, being a limbic system, we can trace the emotions back to attacks from Satan. Now, I'm going to, later on, we can talk about examples in real life of helping people and not just using church language or not just using some cookie cutter method, but helping people realize not, not counseling, not therapy, but what I call truth telling. I mean, scripture says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It doesn't set God free and we don't, yeah, it, truth sets you free. When we start to pay attention and ask God to reveal what are the emotions we're feeling, what, what's going on inside me, he reveals it and he brings the truth to you. Mm-hmm. So, that would be the second piece here is understanding that the three emotions that Satan uses, fear, guilt, or shame, he'll use lies to get these emotions into you. They can actually be used directly to combat his lies. You good? Any, any questions so far? No, I got that is, is we are all made in a certain way. Bingo. You know, what is Satan's goal in doing this is through disunity, discord, you know, fits of anger, fits of rage. You know, he wants to conquer and divide God's people. And then we learn how he does that, you know, on our second point, as far as using fear, guilt, and shame to take us through emotions. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's go to the third step. Let, the let's gospel. go to the gospel. Because if we miss anything, or we're listening to this right now, parents, you know, with what Jeff challenges on in our language toward our kids and using the tools of the enemy without even realizing it, fear, guilt, or shame, time to repent with the way that we parent in those ways. Time to stop using the tools by which the evil one tries to conquer us. I mean, you know, we a quick glance here before we get into the gospel, you know, Hebrews 5 and 6, you know, we all know the rudimentary parts of our faith, you know, um, the communion of saints, you know, and what what the purpose is. But, you know, what is, what the, is the ultimate goal as disciples? What is the ultimate goal as legacy dads and moms is to be able to walk in, in in every situation and immediately understand good from evil and and putting on those biblical lenses of where there's disunity, there's likely fruit of the sinful nature. Mm-hmm. Where there's unity, that's fruit of the spirit. And against that spirit of the, fr- the fruit of that spirit, the law does not apply. And so where we're going to take you here and what Jeff is setting us up for, at least what I'm setting Jeff up to, is how does the gospel take us to defend, withstand, and and make the point to where Satan will flee because we hold on to the gospel of truth in our lives as parents, in our life as friends, in our life and community, and even in our workplace when we use this tool. Go ahead, Jeff. All right. So... So the gospel, I mean, just pure basic Sunday school 101. What is the gospel? I'm a sinner. Jesus died on the cross to make a way for me to get to heaven. Amen, right? And that's, Amen. that's, that's about as far as we go with the gospel. And 
that that's absolutely it. But the gospel is so much more than that. It has to be so much more than that. So what we see in Mark 1, 14 through 15, Jesus comes and he says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm. So he's talking present tense. So our traditional thought of the gospel is Jesus Christ on the cross dying for us. That hadn't happened yet. And that is not specifically what he's talking about here. You'll get theologians who are saying he's foretelling the future or it's because he was already here. That's not what's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you guys, John the Baptist was just saying the same thing. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, present tense, right here, right now. So here's the deal. Here's how we understand this. Up until this point, the Holy of Holies was only allowed to have one person come into the Holy of Holies per year. And at that, it was at the risk of your own life to the point where they had to tie bells onto their ankles because if they got killed going into the presence of God, they would be able to pull them out. They would hear it and then they'd pull them out with a string and like, God was so distant. You couldn't even say his name, right? You couldn't put vowels in his, in his name because you can't say God's distant. We don't talk to him. He's over there. We just do sacrifices and we, we do worships just to appease him. We don't want to make him mad. Like, But now all of a sudden, here's Jesus saying, hey guys, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. And and what we're going to find out a little bit later from him is the kingdom of God, it's in you. 1 Corinthians 2.12, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives within you? So here's the gospel message. Each and every one of us can communicate, talk with, hear from God on a daily basis. The reason that's so important, you guys, there's no other religion in the world that has this. So if we miss this point and we miss the fact that God can, on a day in, day out basis, speak to us and we have the ability to hear him speak on a regular basis, then we are no different than Islam. We are no different than Judaism. We're no different than the Baha'i. We're no different than any other religion. If all we do is wait to die so that Jesus on the cross can get us into heaven. Amen. There's the gospel. Now, to go into that a little bit more, there's a couple of terms that Jesus is using, like like repent, like believe, the word sin, confess. To, to understand the gospel message that Jesus is teaching, we have to understand those things. So the first one is sin, right? In the Greek, it's hamartia. It, it means literally to miss the mark. So when we see sin in the Garden of Eden... We look at sin as the action, but we start missing the mark in our beliefs. And that's what we were talking about before. If Satan can speak lies into our lives and get us to start believing false things, it's just a matter of time before the actions we call sin start to happen. But it all comes from a false belief that we have. So that's that's an important thing to understand is Sin starts with false beliefs. And then confession, confession is simply telling the truth, right? Yep. And the truth will set us free. Bingo, John 8, 32. So yep. if, if, the, if the cops come and arrest you tonight, Dante, and, and they, they arrest you for doing something wrong, do they want you to just tell them sorry all night long? No. No. But yet we as Christians, how often is, is that our version of confession? Oh, right. God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I won't do it again. Yeah, sorry is different from repentance because, you know, I can be sorry for that lust. I can be sorry for that anger. I can be sorry for, you know, the pornography or for the inappropriate friendships or that I got caught. But true repentance is, no, I I, I know this is outside of God's will. I know that I need to, you know, name what that sin is. I need to confess you know, to the to the Lord God Almighty, who I sinned against because He's holy and I'm not, is this is what it is, and I'm repentive to the point where I stop and and try to go the other way. You know, some sins, you know, might be you know generational. Some sins might be against the flesh, might be outside of the flesh. But all this being said, is that I I've got to have God's word in my mm-hmm. life because if I'm not, if I'm just sorry for it. 
it's the wrong that sorry does not equal repentance. Yeah. You know, mournful, you know, true repentance, knowing that I'm outside of God's will, knowing that I've sinned against him and him alone, you know, as we read in, you know, David, as he talked about, you know, other relationships are broken, other relationships are that, but God is holy. We are not. Yeah. And it's to him that we're going to have to give an account. And so true repentance is not only sorrowful because the Holy Spirit is convicting you, but it's it's confessing that. It, it's naming what that sin is, and it's going the opposite way. And we do that. We do that through prayer, through God's word, through accountability with other brothers. You know, James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other that you may be healed. Mm-hmm. And the point is that other men don't forgive sin god does other men hear it and what the enemy likes to work behind the scenes in the darkness is that shame fear and guilt but when we have other brothers that we're confessing to we're putting that sin in the light yes i went to uh, god the father i i confessed lord jesus and i i i'm sorry that i did this and i'm i'm wrong and i'm outside of god's will and what you're doing when you're confessing to your other brothers is not asking them to forgive your sin, but to hold you accountable in love and to steer you away from that. Because where the darkness gets put into the light, there is never darkness. Yeah. Darkness does not exist in the presence of light. Right. So and check truth. this out. Take, taking repentance a little bit further. When we look at the word metanoia in the Greek, it literally means to change your mind to change the inner man. So if we've got confession, which is tell the truth, repentance is change of mind, change of the inner man, then a way to look at that is confession is us telling God our version of the truth, and then repentance is when God tells us his version of the truth. Belief, pistis, is trust in, to take Mm. action according to that new belief. So what we've got now with these four terms hamartia, sin, right? I'm, I'm missing the mark. I've got a false belief. So my confession is I tell God my version of the truth, which is actually my sin. And then God tells me his version of the truth. And then whatever he tells me, I'm just going to trust that whether it makes sense to me or not. When God tells me, I take action based on what he told me, whether it makes sense or not. That's mm-hmm. belief. So here's here's a really quick, like I didn't plan on telling you this, but here's my confession this morning, right? I'm I'm dealing with stuff at at work and just career-wise, like the army, you know, they can move you at any moment's notice and it's kind of hard to plan and all this stuff. And just to be a little bit vulnerable in my my own life, because like this only goes out to like a couple hundred people, right? That's what Lance Just Just a few, like maybe one or two. So don't worry about it, Jeff. So remember what's said here stays here. That's right. This is the circle of trust. (laughs) So So I've just been battling with some negative emotions and I wasn't even really able to put my finger on it the last couple of days, right? And it's just kind of like a a low-level anxiety, stress kind of thing. And so this morning, I'm really just asking God, like, God, what is that? What's going on? Like, what, what is this like weird stress, anxiety eating at my heart? So I go to him, just like David, search me and know me, reveal any way in me, God. And so I asked him, and ultimately what what he revealed is I'm stressed because I'm trying to control everything. Like I pray Mm. about like, okay, God, what do you want? And then I devise my plan to get there. And then I pray each step of my plan, but I'm stressed and scared that God's not going to do what my plan is. So Ultimately, from that, and and he revealed a part of why I feel that is my own pride and reputation. And, and right. so my pride and reputation, I'm trying to defend it by my plan of my career and my life. And so my confession from that, when I had to be brutally honest, is I had to come to God and say, God, I don't trust you. Yep. And you want to talk about, like even now, that brings tears to my eyes because it's truth. If I'm telling the truth, I don't need to tickle God's ears. I need to tell the truth. The truth doesn't set God free. The truth sets me free. So the moment I tell God, God, I don't, I don't trust you. I don't yeah. trust you. I think I've got it. And, and then literally I get up from that and I'm, I'm going through my Bible in a year plan. And 
I, I've memorized this before, and it didn't cross my mind until 30 seconds after I confessed that, God, I don't trust you. Do you know what was in my quiet time this morning? I'll tell you because I'm sure you don't know. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do you see the repentance right there? Right. It's it's no longer my will. Yeah, it's no longer my will. It's God's will. Be done. Yeah. And that, I mean, you know, even this last, and I don't want to take it to political but even this last go around with, you know, what, what, whatever side you were on, it was so polarized. It was so just overwhelming. And I think, you know, people are so upset that the outcome is not what their expectation is. And I, you know, if anything, let's look at Peter really quick because Peter carried a sword with him all throughout the three year ministry with Jesus because he was always expecting his outcome for the return of Messiah to restore Israel to the nation that it was not realizing God as Messiah as in the whole plan of his death and resurrection. And we read about that on the road to Emmaus as far as, you know, revealing from Moses to the prophets of why the Christ had to suffer, die, and and raise again, because God's plan is more perfect than ours. And that's the thing, Jeff, is thank you for sharing your vulnerability and, and trusting this circle of trust, because it's so hard when fear is overwhelming, not knowing, you know, I, even like, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. So, you know, Lord, I trust you, but I don't trust what I see in front of me. I, I don't trust what the future is. You know, I look at it from my standpoint, you know, the end of October, you know, losing my job, you know, and just coming into it of, you know, what's next and, and what is his path. A lot of that time is fear. A lot of that time is, you know, what if it, what if it's not my expectation or, or it doesn't meet what I, what I want. But the reality of it is if I sit there and say, has he ever disappointed me ever once before? Not once. And so why all of a sudden, you know, this age at this point in my life, am I going to second guess God's plan for this? And I think all along, you know, it comes back to what you just said, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 or 5 through 8 is really just getting out of my way, trusting God that he has a plan, even if it doesn't meet my expectations, even if the political environment doesn't meet my expectations, even if my spouse doesn't meet my expectations, even if my work doesn't meet my expectations, that God's got a plan. And I just got to make sure that vertically my relationship with him is correct, knowing that even in situations where horizontally they may be out of whack, that God, through his infinite plan and wisdom, will even make those horizontal relationships right. Yeah. And and that's the hope of the gospel, right? Yeah. So it's a natural thing, Dante. You see it with the disciples. Like one one instance that pops to my mind these guys, the disciples, had just witnessed Jesus multiply the loaves and the fishes for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. They see mm-hmm. that, and then we see that they get into the boat, right? And it's only a couple of verses later, and then Jesus comes walking out on the water, and they're freaked out. And he says that he had to do it because they still didn't understand the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. Yeah, Here these guys are. They are probably the only ones who really recognized like this stuff came out of nowhere and they still didn't trust. They still didn't get it. Not, not yet. Not at yet. Least. Not yet. No. So no. for us, it's not a condemnation thing. It's a human thing. We grow through it. The key is what you just said. Confession, right? The truth will set you free. We will be scared. We will have trust issues. We have to confess them because that's how he grows us. Now, and we and we do that by not leaning on our own understanding, yeah. you know, because you know we're looking at it from the tree or a couple trees that are in front of us in this great forest of life, you know. And sometimes we just need to change our perspective because we're finite, you know. We have a limited set of time that we're going to be on this earth. Our lives are but a vapor. But sometimes if we go vertical and we look at it from, you know, instead of the trees that are in front of us, the trees of shame, the trees of guilt or, or fear, 
and we're not really trusting in the way that we are. Sometimes we just need to change our perspective. And that's why I think going vertical is so important because God's ways are not man's ways. Mm-hmm. You know, amen to that. Because yeah. if, if he looked at stress and he looked at anxiety and fear the way that I do, oh my goodness, you know, it's the end of the world. You know, the world is coming down. But if all of a sudden, you know, I, I go vertical and I go with truth in scripture and I start to see the force that God has in, in store for me, and maybe I don't see it until after he takes me through it. But once I start looking back and just giving thanks for what he's done, even in the moment of doubt, even the moment of fear, is is knowing that in all of that, if I still trust God, even, you know, help me in my unbelief, I still trust him, to know that his purpose, his plan, you know, will never be changed, will never be deviated. Even in a a political Mm -hmm. device of yours, we've seen God's will is at hand and he, he has all of this. So the confidence that we can have is not to trust man, not to put our trust in politics or in our neighbor, but to put our trust in God always. And when we put that back to the gospel, the gospel of truth, not the gospel of our way or his way or this way, the gospel of truth is that Jesus Christ was in the beginning, will be in the end, and that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and we'll be looking at the Son of God that came and and took on sin, took on the world, not for his purposes, for God's purpose to give us a way to be with him for eternity. So on the flip side of that coin, Dante, because everything you just laid out dead on, absolutely, and we can see that in Scripture, and it's all true. Now here's the flip side of that coin. We as people have got to understand God does not want us to pay lip service to him. He doesn't want us to just stroke his ego. God wants us to tell the truth. And if we're being truthful, things like, God, I don't trust you. God, I don't understand why these bad things happened. Either you can't or you won't interact in my life. And that's the truth. God, I want to give my money, but I don't want to give you my money. There's so many things where, who do we think we're fooling? Like God already knows. And yet we still are not truthful with ourselves. And we, we try to paint this picture of what we think God wants to hear. And then that's what we tell him rather than coming back to the grindstone and just saying, all right, God, here it is. Here's the truth. Yep. That is so important because we have to experience that. If we as parents have never gone to that depth of truth telling with God, then we can't help our kids. But once we have and we tell the truth to God and we let we let the spirit walk us through that process, now all of a sudden we can go to our kids, which I highly recommend this. It will blow your mind. Go to your kids and lovingly walk into the conversation of what is your biggest fear? What What is the fear that's just really like it's always there and doesn't go away? Let them right. speak to you because it's going to blow your mind what your kids are afraid of. And, and don't, don't force an answer right away. Mm-mm. You know, even if you're challenging it around the dinner table or devotion time where you guys are out, you know, by I, the way that I always look at about it, you know, with guys in, in our men's ministry is the more real you are with self-confession, with testimony or, or personal story. And maybe you're in the mix of it. You're in the soup of, of a crisis and you haven't gone through it. But just if you're vulnerable with with your family, you're vulnerable with your kids, you're vulnerable with men you're walking with or in your small home group church or all that is that when you put that out there, you you challenge the way that they're processing, the way that they're thinking, and you get them to step out of that boat of doubt, of fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And you get them to step into, you know, the water where Jesus is walking and getting out of the boat of, of their shame, of their guilt, their fear. And and when they see what is really going on in your mind, when you're vulnerable, when you're when you're just being open, you're giving them the freedom to trust with what dad or mom have fear of. And then you're getting them to challenge themselves of what's really holding me back. And I love that. We're, we're getting close to the end of, of, of our, you know, podcast here. You know, the one thing that, you know, so we're made in a certain way. You know, what Satan's goal is to destroy that. How, do, how does he do that? And we, we know by the emotions of 
fear, guilt, and shame. And now we, we, we're coming to the gospel. And, and what is the gospel? We, we've, uh, we've talked, we've, we've you know, um, just eloquently just explained it to our listeners. How does the gospel fix that, Jeff? Take us home on, on all of this. How does the gospel fix that? Okay. So here's the thing. Every moment of every day of your life is stored in this supercomputer that we call a brain, right? So as parents, when we walk our child into what is your greatest fear, this is the beauty of this. We then ask our children, when was the first time, ask God, close your eyes, ask God, when was the first time ever in your life that you felt that feeling, that fear? Mm-hmm. Because then you can go back in that memory and you ask God to reveal to that child or that person, what is the truth? Explain the situation. What do you see? And I, I've done this before uh, with numerous people, but one in particular, um, I asked this lady um, really bad, horrific time in her past. So we're back at this place and, and, this is the first time she felt this negative emotion and, and we prayed through that. And I said, all right, now, now ask the Lord, ask God where he was during that event. Mm. And she came back and she's like, he wasn't there. It's all black. The room is pitch black. There's nothing there. Now here's my fear. Like, Oh, I'm, this is embarrassing, right? Like this isn't working. And so I ask, I ask God in the moment, in my, quietly, I'm, I'm asking him, God, what, what do I do? Like, I'm now afraid. Like her fear is making me afraid. And like, what do we, where do we go from here? And, and God just immediately puts on my heart, confess more, confess more. And so I have her confess more. Tell me more about what you believe about God in that situation. And she starts to confess more. This is what I believe. God is this. God didn't care. God, not powerful. God, And she starts quoting, like she's saying all of these things. This is what I believe about God. And none of it was pretty. Like I would have had my feelings hurt if she was talking about me. But she's saying this about God. And the more she starts to confess, all of a sudden, she starts to say, there's light in the room. Wait, mm. the light's getting brighter. And the more she confesses in this very, very dark time of her life, all of a sudden she's like, there he is. God is in the room. He was always in the room. He was in the corner. In my darkest hour, God was there in the corner. And I said, now ask him, what is the truth? Mm -hmm. And he spoke and he said, I love you. You are my child. And you know, her life drastically changed that day because she, she received the truth. She replaced all of these false beliefs that she had lived her whole life on and they were replaced by the Holy Spirit with truth. So the gospel message is Jesus lived true. He knew his identity. He knew who the father was and he knew his mission and he never departed from it. And his mission was to take all of that onto the cross. He didn't just conquer death. He conquered the fear of death. We no longer have to fear death. We don't have to fear death of our life. We don't have to fear the death of our marriage. We don't have to fear the death of our bank account, our job. We don't have to fear the death of any of this because he conquered it all. And the fear of losing my job and the fear of losing my marriage, all of this causes me to respond in one of two ways, to self-protect or self-promote. And so I stop listening to God and I start just trying to defend myself because of the lie that Satan injects. And the Mm. gospel message is, I don't have to do that. I am free to simply obey God fearlessly. Yes. Get get out of, of that boat of fear, of shame, of guilt. Realize what the gospel did for each and every one of us. None of us had a chance None of, none of us had hope. None of us, you know, have the faith that we need, you know, as far as even in the darkest hours of our life. And some of us are still holding on to a childhood experience, to something that broke a relationship or, you know, a breakdown in the marriage or just lack of intimacy or stolen intimacy. And, and the reality of it is we need to come clean right now, realize what God did through his son, Jesus Christ, in the gospel of truth. 
and and confess that to him right now. So if there is brokenness, you know, in your in your legacy dad walk, there's brokenness in your legacy dad mom walk, you know, understand this that the devil wants to divide and conquer and just destroy each and every one of us that has the audacity, the audacity 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 there we go to to profess Jesus Christ as lord and savior but the problem is that he knows he is the strong man bound that we read in Matthew and because of what Jesus Christ did through his death and resurrection that strong man the reference to the devil is now bound he's captive and he's in chains, and he knows the end game. And his game is to take as many people, even people that are in our church building, that profess they know the Lord, but they have no fruit, they have no point of, of, of redemption to where they've given it all to God, and they've made lip service, but they haven't had true transformation. It's our goal to point people to the gospel of truth, and it's our goal to start renewing our mind from this guilt. We read in Romans 12, from this shame, from this fear, and know that God is going to take us through it. Uh, last word, Jeff, let, let's, uh, for our listeners, what do you have to say? Yeah, you want true intimacy with your brothers and sisters? Train those around you to do this very thing. You do it. You experience the transformation that God brings, and then train others to do this as well. And when you start to confess and repent, and you start to hear God speak like this, oh my gosh, you want to see a city transformed? Take a Mm. small group of people who can hear from God and fearlessly obey Him, and you will see lives, cities, states, and nations transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's fear that holds us back from all of that. Amen. Amen. Well, Legacy Dad listeners, we uh, just want to bless you. Uh, Just ask for the peace of truth of of God's spirit just to be on you. And uh, Jeff, thank you for sharing this time with us. We're a little bit lengthy here, but there's a lot of truth into this podcast. God bless. And we look forward to hearing from you again. uh, Thanks for your comments or questions out there. And we just want to bless you all. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Legacy Dads Podcast with Lance and Dante, real men, authentic faith. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit LegacyDads.org and on Facebook.com slash Legacy Dads and on Twitter at Legacy underscore Dad. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time on the Legacy Dads Podcast, real men, authentic faith.